0: Hello and welcome to Volume 40, Number 39 of Grapevine from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. This is online version number 27, recorded on the 25th of September 2020. In this week's news, reactions and more news on the Akel Strait duelling... On the week that saw us subjected to more national government rules, we've several glimpses of the situation locally. And more grey seals than you can shake a wind farm at appear on Scroby. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Andrew, plus another weird tale from Andy. As usual, though, the news is first. And we start this week with more on the seemingly never-ending saga of the Achel Strait dueling. We've had two items this week, one on Tuesday and one yesterday afternoon. The Tuesday item was reaction from local MPs.
1: Furious councillors have pledged not to give up the fight over the dueling of the A47 Acle Strait and said they believe it can still get on the government's next wave of road schemes a meeting of Norfolk County Council last week, Highways England officials said the duelling of the notorious stretch would not be included in schemes from 2025 to 2030, known as Road Investment Strategy 3. Peter Havlicek, Highways in England programme lead for the A47, had said, The Acle Strait as it currently stands is not in the next tranche of potential projects coming through. I know there's a tremendous amount of lobbying that has taken place by a lot of businesses and local authorities on various improvements on the A47. That sparked anger from councillors and at a meeting of the full county council on Monday they said they would not be giving up the fight. Graham Plant, Deputy Leader of Norfolk County Council and former Great Yarmouth Borough Council Leader, said he urged the council to write to MPs to keep up lobbying over the road. He said it was unacceptable that Highways England had yet to do any physical work on the £300 million worth of work which has been earmarked for the A47, including the duelling between Easton to North Tuddenham, from Blowfield to North Burlingham and the changes to the Thickthorne Junction. And he said it was wrong that Highways England had signalled the A47 Straitwood not be in the next round of schemes without any consultation. He said, It does seem to me that Highways England are completely off track as far as Norfolk is concerned. Martin Wilby, the Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport, said, I do not accept it cannot be part of the Road Investment Strategy 3, and I will not give up lobbying to get this much needed improvement for infrastructure across the whole of Norfolk. The duelling of the Akle Strait was one of the key demands of the Just Duel It campaign, spearheaded by the EDP, Norfolk County Council and the Norfolk Chambers of Commerce.
0: Yesterday's item was maybe a welcome update on the
1: story. Back to Andrew for more. Funding for duelling the A47 Acre Strait within ten years remains possible, a Government Minister has said, one week after Highways England officials announced the notorious road would not be included in the next wave of improvement schemes. In a letter to MP Brandon Lewis, Baroness Vere of Norberton, a Minister at the Department of Transport, said no decisions have yet been made on funding for the 2025 to 2030 period. At a meeting on September the 16th, Highways England officials told Norfolk County Council the long-called-for duelling of the nine-mile stretch of road will not happen for at least another decade. The Baroness said her interpretation of the announcement after talking with the Highways was that although the Aikles Strait will not be duelled over the next 10 years, It does not mean the proposal has been ruled out for investment in the next phase from 2025 to 2030. Although I have no doubt that the completion for funding will be fierce, the opportunity is very much there for the case to be made of improvements to the A47 by all supporters, she said. Mr Lewis, MP for Great Yarmouth, said he welcomed the clarification. Securing the funding of the Acre Strait is not going to be easy in that period, he said but I welcome the clarification that it remains possible. As the Member of Parliament for Great Yarmouth, I will continue to make the case forcefully for the need for this work, which would complement the already announced work on a third river crossing and improvements to the A47 roundabouts, he added. The region's MPs reacted last week to the disappointing news, with some calling for review and a break-up of the Highways Agency campaigners and councillors warned the next chance to push for the scheme would be 2030, as people living in the coastal town stress safety fears. The news had come just ten months after the Prime Minister pledged he would deliver the Vital Road project in the wake of several former government's broken promises to end the misery of drivers facing accidents and delays on the single carriageway route. That's certainly not going to be the last we hear on
0: that subject. Locally, as regular and ongoing saga as the virus. Anyway, plenty more subjects coming up as we ask Andrew to
1: continue with the first part of the other news. Say hello, Andrew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grapevine. It's Andrew back with you again. And where have these last four weeks gone, I ask? We have our usual magical mix of news, views and stories from around our area, so let's get underway. A Great Yarmouth Primary School... Is one of eight in the country to be given Champion Heritage School status for its commitment to teaching pupils about what makes where they live so special. St George's Primary and Nursery on St Peter's Road received the prestigious award from Historic England in recognition of its efforts to educate students about the history of the town. After signing up to the Heritage Schools pilot program in 2012, St George's has embraced local culture by embedding history into everyday teaching, and will now receive £1,000 from Historic England to carry the project forward. Head teacher Melody Fern said, Here we aren't just a school but a family. We see the wider town and its community and heritage as part of that family. I feel it is an honour to have been nominated to be a Champion Heritage School, and I am extremely pleased that the hard work of the staff, children, parents, governors and community partners has been recognised at a national level. We look forward to helping inspire others to get involved and enjoy their local heritage too. Heritage-led events run by the school since 2012 range from film showcases, murals and heritage treasure trails, school research into First World War heritage to the welcoming back of the refurbished school memorial plaque. But now Historic England wants the school itself to help lead heritage based learning and inspire other schools to do the same. In a statement Historic England said, these projects could involve testing new local heritage education resources, developing a panel of young heritage ambassadors and sharing best practice in heritage teaching. Kate Argyle, manager for Historic England in the east of England said, St George's is thoroughly deserving of champion heritage school status and will serve as an inspiration to other schools looking to incorporate local heritage into their curriculum. Research has shown that knowledge of local heritage gives children a sense of pride and identity about where they live, and an understanding of how it fits into the history of the nation. Exposure to local heritage also has a positive effect on mental well-being. Now to uh, more coronavirus news. And the entire staff of a sports shop are self-isolating after multiple workers tested positive for Covid-19. The JD Sports branch in Market Gates Great Yarmouth was closed on Tuesday following the positive tests but has since reopened with a new team. A spokesperson for the store said we can confirm that a small number of employees at the JD Sports store in Great Yarmouth Norfolk tested positive for coronavirus this week. As such we took the precautionary measure to close and deep clean the store with all employees being asked to return home to self-isolate. Following the completion of the deep clean, the store has now reopened with a new team of employees from other stores. The health and well-being of JD's employees and customers remains its highest priority. As such, we have implemented a series of measures to ensure retail colleagues and customers can work and shop safely in a store whilst practising social distancing. The measures include distancing signage, hand sanitizers, screens, quarantining returned stock for 72 hours and keeping changing rooms closed. Market Gates Centre manager Nick Spencer said as a centre Market Gates is following government guidelines educating tenants and shoppers on good hygiene practices and the landlord is incurring additional costs to ensure a safe shopping environment for everyone. And 43 Norfolk care homes have at least one case of coronavirus including 16 with two or more, which is classed as an outbreak a report has revealed. The figures were revealed after Norfolk's Director of Health, Dr Louise Smith, warned that the number of COVID-19 infections in the county was, to quote, creeping up. Norfolk County Council revealed there were 27 care homes across the county which had one case of coronavirus as of Tuesday morning. There are also 16 care homes with outbreaks. An outbreak is defined as two or more people experiencing a similar illness which appears to be linked to one place. In total, there are 58 people in care homes who have contracted the virus. Of these, 45 people are employees and 13 are residents. At a Cabinet scrutiny meeting on Wednesday, Dr Louise Smith said none of the outbreaks caused significant concern at this stage. She said we are continuing to manage outbreaks on a daily basis. I'm very pleased to be able to report that at this stage the outbreaks in care providers are generally quite small. That has not always been the case. Earlier in the pandemic, related to the first peak, we did have unfortunately some larger significant outbreaks in care settings, particularly in residential care homes. On Wednesday, council bosses also confirmed positive coronavirus cases in eight Norfolk schools, although none of these were classed as outbreaks. Schools where pupils who have been told to self-isolate because of a positive case include Arden Grove Infant School and Nursery in Helston, Wyndham High School Academy, and East Coast College in Great Yarmouth. A council spokesman said, Norfolk's Public Health team is working with colleagues from the County Council's Learning and Inclusion team and Public Health England to ensure early years settings, schools and academies have the advice and support they need to manage any incidents where children, young people and members of staff display symptoms of COVID-19 or test positive for the disease to prevent the spread of the virus. Education settings are working hard to ensure that they are meeting the guidelines around infection prevention at the same time as supporting children's learning and well-being. And now a couple of stories of people's very notable achievements. A couple who met and married in Great Yarmouth 60 years ago are celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary. Michael O'Keefe, age 91, and his wife Christine, who's 80, got married in St Peter's Church on the 24th September 1960 and they had the wedding reception at the Star Hotel and have been together ever since. Mr and Mrs O'Keefe's daughter Beverly Deverell and her husband were going to surprise them with a meal at the Star Hotel where the couple were expected to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary, where they first met in 1959. However, following the temporary closure of the Star Hotel due to the pandemic, the plans were scuppered. But now the couple will be celebrating the occasion with Beverly and her husband at the charcoal grill, where Michael has ordered Christine's favourite meal of lobster. Talking about when he met Christine, Mr O'Keefe said, We met at the Yare pub in 1959, and I worked at the Pleasure Beach at the time. We've been married for 60 years now, and I think as long as you're happy as a couple, that is the main thing. My daughter and her husband were planning a surprise meal for me and Christine at the Star Hotel, but those plans have been scuppered due to the pandemic. We were planning on perhaps going somewhere together as well, but that is not possible anymore either. Mr and Mrs O'Keefe spent the first three years of their marriage living in London, but decided to return to Great Yarmouth in 1963, and have lived in the town ever since. The couple also have three grandchildren who are in their twenties, and one great-grandson who's two years old. Mr and Mrs O'Keefe both reflected on the fact that since 1960, time has flown by, and that they expect their 60-year wedding anniversary to be like an ordinary day this year. When asked the secret to a long marriage, Mr O'Keefe replied, Just be true to one another. Well, big congratulations to them. And more congratulations here for a long-serving first aid volunteer who's been appointed Knight of the Order of St John. Bob Mann, 84, who lives in Winterton, received the promotion last month in recognition of his 72 years at the charity, which provides first aid and health care through teams of volunteers. He said it is a great honour to be granted this award by Her Majesty the Queen. I enjoy what I do and I like sitting in the background. The award was quite a surprise. I didn't think it would happen to me. Throughout my time at the Order I have had the pleasure and privilege to work with members of St John of all ages and religions who devote their free time to teach and provide first aid to people across the community and workplace, he said. Mr Mann, who was born in Felixstowe, officially joined the Order when he was 12 years old but his first involvement was much earlier than that, when he was a newborn, and his mother took him to a meeting of volunteers to show them how to bath a baby. He said, my mother was involved in it, and as a result of that, I got involved. During his still active service to the organisation, Mr Mann has been on first aid duties, a first aid trainer, an assessor for businesses, members of the public and of St John's members. He has also been involved in the fellowship of St John an organisation keeping those members who have retired or are not actively working in touch. And he's done that both in Norfolk and nationally. Bob is a retired police officer and he's lived in Winston for 14 years. An Antarctic surveyor who took part in the first overland crossing of Antarctica and who spent more than 30 years living in Norfolk has died aged 92. During his career, Kenneth Blacklock, OBE, made Antarctic exploration history by becoming one of the first people to reach the South Pole by dog sled since Roald Amundsen in 1911. At one point he held the record for the longest period of time anyone had cumulatively spent in Antarctica and was a recipient of the Polar Medal. Born in Palmers Green, North London in 1927, Mr Blakelock left school aged 17 to join the Ordnance Survey, where he was trained in surveying techniques including geodatic surveying. In 1947, while posted in Germany, he saw a notice calling for volunteers for an expedition to the Falkland Islands and put himself forward, a decision which led to the start of his Antarctic career. The expedition took him to Stonington Island, where he volunteered to stay on for two years, during which time he developed his surveying skills and helped document Virgin Territory, including Blacklock Island, which was named in his honour. In 1952, he returned to Antarctica to serve as a surveyor in Hope Bay. Then in 1955, while working as a surveyor on the ship, the MV Norsel, he heard of Vivian Fuchs' plan for a trans-Antarctic expedition. Having worked with Mr Fuchs previously, he put himself forward. He was invited to lead the expedition's advance party, and from 1956 to 1958, he was part of the Commonwealth Trans-Antarctic Expedition, which completed the first overland crossing of Antarctica. He was also one of the team to be the first to reach the South Pole by dog sled, a first since Amundsen had reached it there way back in 1911. Following the expedition he was awarded the Polar Medal with three bars for his services to the Antarctic exploration. In 1962 he married Elsie Elliott and the following year the couple moved to Hoverton where they raised their children and where Mr Blakelock remained until 2003. Following the completion of the Trans-Antarctic Expedition, he continued to take part in Antarctic expeditions and would often be away from his family for two years at a time. And when not in the polar region, Mr Blakelock worked out of Great Yarmouth, carrying out surveying work in the North Sea, and he retired in 1996. He died on September the 20th, aged 92, and he survived by his son, daughter and his two grandchildren. What an interesting life that man led. And staying with a vaguely nautical theme, um, images of old England's maritime trading will be rekindled this weekend as a ship sails into the Norfolk coast bringing oils, chocolate, honey and spices. New Dawn Traders, an experimental import business dealing exclusively in fair trade products, will conjure images of England's seafaring glory days as it anchors its schooner in Great Yarmouth on Sunday after sailing around the East Anglian coastline. The sale cargo event will be taking place at the historic South Quay opposite the Town Hall with once exotic goods such as Portuguese olive oil, honey, almonds, olives, salt, chocolate, coffee, mezcal and port wine on sale. All products are from sustainable farms based in Portugal, Trinidad and Colombia. Basing their operations in Cornwall, New Dawn traders have been sailing schooners for imports and exports since 2013 and Sunday's event will see the ship arrive under the steady hand of master mariner Jean-Francois Le Bleu. Founding director, Alexandra Galdenhuis said, the company prides itself on relying solely on wind power, as they believe it is the best to make zero compromises when it comes to earth care, people care and fair share. And while it may take longer to grow a market in this way, having a direct supply chain between family farms and customers makes it a win-win situation for all involved, she said. In future, New Dawn Traders plans to continue with existing voyage routes, as well as increasing its trade routes and supply chains. They also aim to expand their fleet to increase business for suppliers and customers. And anybody interested in purchasing goods from the gallant ship can do so by ordering online at openfoodnetwork.org.uk forward slash new hyphen dawn hyphen traders hyphen GY forward slash shop, hashtag forward slash shop. Please don't ask me to repeat that. Alternatively, products will be available Quayside on Sunday. However, they will be on sale at regular retail price as opposed to lower rates when bought online. Goods ordered online can be collected from the Gallant Ship on Sunday from Great Yarmouth-based Original Projects in the following week or posted within Norfolk.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Well, it seems to be a week of ongoing sagas. Or should that be sage-eye? Probably not, as Andy brings us up to date about a local tale going back
2: centuries. Yes, it's the Big Black Dog. Hello, this is Andy, with another in the Weird Norfolk series of stories. And this relates to a black shook sighting at Galston in April 1972. It's one of East Anglia's most enduring folk tales, that of a midnight black hellhound with its eyes as red as glowing coals that roams the landscape and brings death to the door of anyone unfortunate to lock eyes with him. Tales of the Devil's Sidekick have been passed down from generation to generation, with the earliest account in the region appearing to be the infamous event in 1577 in Bungay, where, during a ferocious storm, a black dog burst into the local church, leaving devastation in his wake. As he raced along the nave, he killed a man and a boy, caused the steeple to collapse and, as he left the church, left scorch marks on the north door. But the stories of Shuck aren't all consigned to history and folklore books. Some are within living memory. In 1972, the Eastern Daily Press reported a strange story from Coast Guard Graham Grant, who was on duty at the Galston Rescue Headquarters early one morning when he saw something deeply puzzling. He told reporters, Looking to the north at about 4.45 a.m. at daybreak on Wednesday last, April 19th, I saw a large black hound-type dog on the beach, about of a quarter of a mile north of the lookout. What made me look was that the dog was running, then stopping, as if looking for someone. I watched it for one to two minutes, but then it vanished before my eyes. I kept on looking for a time, but it did not reappear. Mr. Grant added that the beach had recently been flattened by bulldozers, so there was nowhere for the mysterious dog to hide and he revealed that having only just moved to Norfolk, he hadn't been familiar with the local legend when he saw the Galston Beast. Indeed, it wasn't until he mentioned the peculiar sighting to his colleagues that the tale of Black Shug, he revels in the roaring of the waves and loves to raise his awful voice above the howling of the gale, quotes the article, surfaced. Despite local law suggesting that a sighting of Shook was a foretelling of doom, it appears Mr. Grant was very circumspect about what he saw as a northwest gale battered the coast, describing it as uncanny. Our coastguards are made of stern stuff.
0: Well, after that shaggy dog story, let's move swiftly on with the second part of the news with Andrew.
1: We start with some news from our tourist industry. Well, they say it's a small world, but a Great Yarmouth tourist attraction is hoping to make a big difference. Merivale Model Village has, for 59 years, delighted visitors with its miniature marvels. And now it's been taken over by a new model army of tiny coffee lovers, giving a publicity push to Macmillan's world's largest coffee morning next week. The Macmillan charity is worried that it could see a 71% drop in income due to the pandemic, estimating it will lose some £20 million from coffee morning events alone. In Norfolk, £351,300 was raised in 2019, including £50,000 in Norwich and £48,600 in North Norfolk. So Frank and Francis Newsome, who own the Merivale Model Village and have done for the last three years, have chosen to support the charity, after Mr Newsom's experiences receiving treatment for testicular cancer in 1995. The 59-year-old recalled the support the charity gave to a fellow patient who was worried that due to his cancer he would not be able to provide for his family. Frank said, A Macmillan professional came onto the ward to explain how the charity could support him when he moved back home and it was just like a weight had been lifted. He needed a new washing machine and it was Macmillan who paid for a replacement and arranged for it to be installed. Knowing he had some additional support, especially on a practical level, really helped him to see things differently. The attraction will host its own coffee morning on Friday, September 25th, donating 15% of all tickets to the charity. He said it's great to hear that Macmillan is still doing more of that, providing financial and practical support when families are pushed into the red by cancer. And helping people come to terms with terrifying diagnoses. We hope our villagers will inspire others to take part in their own small way. The business, which turns 60 next year, has, like many others, faced a challenging time as the pandemic forced it to shut up shop during its busy spring and summer season. Following the introduction of the Rule of Six, the charity has seen an uptake in Cake Away, where friends and family arrive at pre allotted time to retrieve their cake make a donation and leave. That's a very, very good cause, and well done, and every success to them. Staying with the tourist industry, here's a success story. A man who started out cleaning windows and dusting wardrobes in a seafront hotel when he was 16 years old has now been appointed a director of the business. Grant Smith, 28, from Great Yarmouth, has admitted he wasn't a model student, but loved his Saturday job at the Imperial Hotel on North Drive. The hotel has been run for three generations by the Mobs family, who have made Mr Smith its first ever director from outside the family. Nick Mobbs said, my daughters have both made it clear that a career running the Imperial Hotel is not for them at this time. My wife Aileen, who as we know is our very own Aileen, and I fervently wish for the hotel to remain independent, Two years ago, we instigated a training scheme for our management team to teach them how to take responsibility and ownership of their department. After six months, it was clear that this was an area in which Grant excelled. We realised the solution had been under our noses all the time, and with more training and experience, Grant could take on far more responsibility. He proved himself yet further during the enforced COVID-19 closure, showing great resilience and determination the time is right to award him directorship status. Ailing and I can relax a little, take more time off and play a bit more golf, reassured that our beloved business is in a safe pair of hands whenever we're not here. After school, Mr Smith had concluded that the plumbing course he started was not for him and asked Mr Mobbs for a full-time job. The owner offered him a hospitality apprenticeship and Mr Smith achieved his NVQ Level 2 and as they say, the rest is history. He said, it's funny, but I really remember telling Nick when I was 16 that I'd have his job one day. I haven't got there yet, but this feels like a huge step along the way. The longer I worked here, the more I felt passionate about it. But I didn't realise how much more there was to it until we started the management training scheme. I love the customer service side of things and making sure our guests and residents have a great time. And Mr Smith is currently making plans to reopen the hotel's cafe crew restaurant at the start of October. People in Great Yarmouth are being invited to contribute to a project which will capture how the town was affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Time and Tide Museum is launching Candid About Covid, appealing for donations of photographs, objects and personal experiences centred around a pandemic. The campaign runs from Monday, September the 21st until Friday, October the 9th and anyone who lives or works in Great Yarmouth is encouraged to take part. The project team wants to hear from everyone, no matter how ordinary they deem their experiences to be. Key workers, stay-at-home parents, students, businesses and those who are unemployed or working from home. Curator Wayne Kett said, Contemporary collecting is important for any museum, but when we are living through extraordinary times like these, it becomes vital. This project will ensure Time and Child Museum has properly recorded how the pandemic has impacted the lives of people living and working in Great Yarmouth. It will enable us to engage with the public about the pandemic in the present, but perhaps more importantly, it will help to ensure future generations are able to learn about the coronavirus crisis and how it impacted Yarmouth. Now there are two strands to the campaign. Digital collecting, which is with time and tide asking people to send in images, videos, scanned documents, audio recordings or any other digital file which reflects their experiences of the pandemic. And there's the physical collecting, with the museum looking for physical objects linked to COVID-19 crisis. Those who would like to donate can send in a photograph of their object and a description of why it has been significant to them during this unusual time. The museum's goal is to collect a digital archive showing how people and communities in the area experience the coronavirus pandemic. People and families can submit their experiences via the museum's social media accounts, or via yarmouth.museums at norfolk.gov.uk. Well, who knows, maybe one of Grapevine's programmes will find its way into their collection. Premier Inn owner Whitbread has warned it could axe up to 6,000 jobs as the coronavirus crisis continues to hit demand for hotel stays. Premier Inns have eight hotels in Norfolk, two in Yarmouth, four in Norwich, and hotels in Thetford and Kings Lynn, and also one in Lowestoft. Whitbread has begun consulting staff and has said it hopes the majority of cuts can be made voluntarily. The group said the cuts would impact 18% of the total workforce across its hotel and restaurant brands, which also includes Beef Eater Pubs and the Brewers Fair restaurants. It is hoping a, quote, significant proportion of the job cuts will be made through voluntary redundancy and lowered contracted hours for some staff. Whitbread said the plans came as demand is set to remain subdued in the short to medium term and with the government's furlough scheme coming to an end next month. The job losses also come on top of cuts to reduce its head office workforce by up to a fifth. Alison Britton, the chief executive of Whitbread, said With demand for travelling remaining subdued, we are now having to make some very difficult decisions and it is with great regret that today we are announcing our intention to enter into a consultation process that could result in up to 6,000 redundancies in the UK, of which it is hoped that a significant proportion can be achieved voluntarily. Whitbread expects the jobs to go by the end of the year, but it said the vast majority of its 900 hotels and 350 restaurants will remain open. It came as Whitbread revealed like-for-like sales crashed 77.6% in the six months to August 27th, after the lockdown forced the closure of its estate. The group said hotel sales growth has been strong since reopening, with those in the UK seaside and tourist locations almost 80% full in August, as more Britons staycationed due to travel fears amid the pandemic. But demand in London and other city centres remained under pressure, with total occupancy levels at 51% on average last month and sales still 47.3% lower. Well, let's hope that current staycation boom in the UK bodes well for all the hotels and guest houses in our area. Now, a warning as a man was airlifted to hospital after losing his balance on a broads boat. Holidaymakers to the broads are being urged to take care on boats after a man was airlifted to hospital after losing balance on a pleasure cruiser. The 47-year-old tourist from Skegness was taken to the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital at 3.30pm on Sunday, September the 20th, after breaking his right ankle by jumping to safety to a bank off the River Bure in St Bennet's Abbey near Ludham. Chris Batten, helmsman of Hemsby Lifeboat who attended, said A man on holdy with his partner was mooring his boat on the bank, but it was not secure. He was on the side of the boat and lost his balance. This was a genuine accident, but extra care must be taken when getting off a boat. As well as Hemsby Lifeboat and East Anglian Air Ambulance, two Coast Guard crews and paramedics from the ambulance service were called. And a spokesperson for the air ambulance said the man had serious leg injuries. Moving on now to schools, and staff members at Lingrove Grove in Bradwell were told by Public Health England on Friday that someone within the school had tested positive for coronavirus. In a statement, Principal Alison Mobb said, Following advice, a number of pupils have been required by Public Health England to self-isolate in line with government guidelines. These pupils will follow the school curriculum from home. The affected areas of the school were immediately deep cleaned. We will continue to follow government guidelines to ensure that pupils can learn, safety, learn safely sorry, while contributing to the national effort to suppress COVID-19. And another school has been asked to form a bubble after a COVID-19 case. A school asked the parents of its Year 1 bubble to keep their children at home after a fellow pupil tested positive for coronavirus. North Deans Primary School in Great Yarmouth notified parents on Tuesday the 22nd that a single child in the Year 1 class had tested positive for the virus. In a Facebook post, Head Teacher Debbie Whiting said, The Year 1 bubble will be closed for the next three days. A child has tested positive for COVID-19. On September the 26th it will have been 14 days since the symptoms first appeared meaning all year one children without any symptoms can return to school on the 28th. The child was not in school with symptoms but was in school for the 48 hour prior to the onset of the symptoms. We know you may find us concerning but we are continuing to monitor the situation and are working closely with Public Health England. The small number of children who have been in direct prolonged contact with the confirmed case will have received an individual letter and will be staying at home for 14 days. The school remains open and your child should attend if they remain well. In a further statement Mrs Whiting stressed that the priority of the school was the safety of our children, staff and their families. She said we have collapsed the bubble where the case occurred and the children and staff in this group are isolating for 14 days. Our priority is the children, staff and their families, so we have taken these steps to protect them and prevent the spread of the virus. We've enjoyed having our pupils in school again, so we're looking forward to welcoming back those who are isolating when it is safe to do so. It's a very, very difficult job for the schools, isn't it? And I think they're doing exceptionally well. Now, the region's hospitals are gearing up for a potential rise in COVID-19. And more beds and well rehearsed plans are among the measures Norfolk's hospitals say are in place to deal with a potential rise in cases. The county's three hospitals have begun seeing admissions for the virus after spells of more than a month of being COVID free. As of Monday, the 21st of September, there are currently four corona positive patients receiving treatment in Norfolk. At the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, which will act as the region's coronavirus surge centre, There is one positive patient and another 11 who are recovering in hospital. And no patients, thankfully, are in intensive care. A spokesman said, We have robust and well-rehearsed plans in place for a potential rise in coronavirus cases. We are well prepared with a new nine-bedded isolation unit that will be open this autumn. And we are also opening 68 new beds in a new ward block. We all have a duty to do everything we can to limit the spread of COVID-19 which includes regular hand washing, wearing face coverings, and social distancing wherever possible. We can also protect ourselves and loved ones this winter by getting a flu vaccination. At the James Padgett in Galston, there are no positive cases. Throughout August and September, 10 people have been discharged after recovering from the virus. Joanne Segersby, the hospital's chief operating officer, said nationally and locally, we are preparing for both an influx of COVID cases and the wider demands that winter is likely to bring. We are continuing to issue updates to our staff on a regular basis to ensure arrangements are in place for what may come, and if we need to make changes for infection control reasons or local prevalence of COVID-19, we will do so. She urged people to continue following guidance, especially around wearing masks and social distancing. A couple of police matters now. Now, police boxed in and used a stinger to stop a suspected stolen car after a 20 minute long pursuit. The car, which had been reported stolen a few days ago, was spotted in Great Yarmouth on Saturday, September the 19th. And Norfolk Police said it had failed to stop for about 20 minutes. But officers from Norfolk Constabulary used what are known as box tactics to stop the vehicle. That involved safely stopping drivers after following them and then boxing in to surround them. Police then used a stinger device thrown into the road to puncture the car's tyres. In a tweet, Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and Armed Policing hailed the superb teamwork which led to the car being successfully stung. A police sniffer dog has been praised after unearthing a kilo of cocaine and £18,000 in cash during a raid. On Wednesday, September 16th, the Norfolk and Suffolk Police Dogs Unit, Moonshot Team and Neighbourhood Policing Team in Great Yarmouth All assisted the Home Office's Immigration Enforcement with raids in the Great Yarmouth area. In a statement, Norfolk Police said, Willow, the police dog, helped identify hidden deposits of £18,000 in cash and around one kilo of cocaine. She's a two-year-old Lemon Labrador crossed with a white spaniel and she's been working for Norfolk and Suffolk Police since November 2019, specialising in drugs, cash and weapons. After she helped with the operation, a man and a woman in their 20s were arrested. They were taken to Great Yarmouth Police Station for questioning. Following an investigation, the man was then arrested on suspicion of immigration offences and charged with possession with intent to supply Class A drugs. He appeared at Norwich Magistrates Court on Thursday, September the 17th and has been remanded in custody to appear at Norwich Crown Court on October the 15th. The woman involved was also arrested on suspicion of possession with intent to supply Class A drugs and was also charged with possession with intent to supply Class B drugs and money laundering.
0: Third part of the news in just a nonce. First though, just to give Andrew a chance to draw his breath, a piece of very relevant music. As I think I've mentioned before, we're unable to use the Grapevine studio at present as it's difficult to practice the old social distancing there. Our weekly newsreaders have the Grapevine portable recorder to record their contributions. I get the recorder back on Friday morning and extract their contributions and compile what you hear on computer. Andrew normally brings the recorder to me, which, indeed, he did this Friday morning. However, at that time, it was absolutely chucking it down. So I dedicate the following to a very wet newsreader. The leaves of brown came tumbling down, remember? In September, in the rain, the sun went out just like a dying ember. That September, in the rain, to every word. Of love I heard you whisper The raindrops seem To play a sweet refrain Though spring is here to me It's still September Ooh, that September In the rain To every word of love, I heard you whisper. Ah. The raindrops seem to play a sweet refrain. Though spring is here, to me it's still September. That's September. In the rain I said that September In the rain OK, last part of today's news. Cue a dried-out, Andrew.
1: And now we have some news from the local and county council sector. A coastal council said that he has learned from the coronavirus pandemic as a new scheme to buy up transitional houses for homeless people is given the green light. Subject to grant funding from Homes England Great Yarmouth councillors agreed at a policy and resources meeting on September twenty second to provide housing for up to two years for rough sleepers and those living in hostels while they find a permanent home. According to council officer Nicola Turner the plan involves increasing the overall supply of supported housing and we'll see officers team up with a local charity who will use one of the flats as an office and a neutral space for tenants. Ms. Turner said, we can't mention the charity's name at present, but they will help support the residents into both paid and unpaid employment. The idea is to continue the work we undertook during the coronavirus pandemic. It's about creating a pathway for people to access supported housing. In a report prepared by Ms Turner, it says the council made offers of temporary accommodation to 153 people who were rough sleepers or at risk of becoming so between March 23rd and June 30th as part of the Everyone In initiative. But the report shows that these specific plans were in the pipeline even before the pandemic. It says prior to lockdown, the council was approached by a registered provider which owns a number of flats in the area and wanted to dispose of them. The properties need repairs and updating, and the cost was more than originally expected. Based on this, it is not viable for the Council to purchase the properties and improve them unless grant funding is available. Labour Councillor Bernard Williamson hailed the scheme as something that had been, quote, needed for years. But when probed about whether the scheme would meet all of the housing need the Borough Council has, Miss Turner told Mr Williamson that it may not fill the gap completely. She said this scheme will go a very long way in meeting the current need we have for supported housing, but might not meet all of that need. Councillors unanimously approved plans to buy up the houses and reserve one for the charity's office use if the grant application is successful. Staying in the centre of town now and Great Yarmouth market stall holders will pay a service charge to facilitate the cost of their move to a new home. At the Great Yarmouth Borough Council Policy and Resources Council meeting held on September the 22nd, it was agreed the costs of moving traders' equipment to their new stall would be paid off by a long-term charge on their leases rather than making them take out a loan. Council Asset Manager Jane Beck said, We now have planning permission for the market proposals so can take the next step. The pandemic has delayed the project by six months but we're hoping to start drilling boreholes in eight places around the marketplace in October. This work will start on October the 5th and will take a week to complete. She went on to say the work would cause necessary disruption before general construction commences in early 2021. Miss Beck said 80% of the traders are looking to move into new units and every one of these has been given their first or second location preference. But some will leave the market altogether. We want as many traders as possible to make this journey forward with us. The lease will mirror what the traders' costs are now because we agreed at the start of this project that they wouldn't see an initial increase in their rents. The charge would be specific to how much it costs for the trader to move and how long they are planning to stay at the market. It could be that the charge is applied over the entire course of their lease. Trevor Wainwright, the Council's Labour Group leader, said plans have been welcomed by stallholders. He said, Carl Smith and I sat in on a meeting with the six-day traders a few weeks ago and there wasn't any dissent at all with what we are proposing. But there would be the option for traders to pay off the service charge in its entirety at any time, should they wish. The recommendation follows concerns raised by market traders that the upfront costs of moving would be difficult to manage in the aftermath of coronavirus. With market cobbler stall owner McMahon asking for guarantees, that the council would help the process move. Councillors approved the service charge proposal unanimously. Proposals to remodel a former school into six flats have been lodged with planners. Calthorpe Nursery in Alexandra Road, Great Yarmouth, was among a string of provisions to shut suddenly in November 2019 when the trust running it collapsed into administration. While some of the settings in the Priory Nursery were saved by Norfolk County Council, Calthorpe House was put up for sale by liquidators and the staff transferred over. Between them the two nurseries provided 112 of the 388 childcare places available in Great Yarmouth. Now a bid to create six self-contained flats in the building overlooking St George's Park has been submitted. It also looks to achieve the conversion of an outbuilding to create a self-contained dwelling. People have until October the 5th to have their say. Calthorpe Nursery was one of six nurseries in Norfolk which shut, along with the Horatio School in Stoft, and Nexus Engineering in Galston, when Great Yarmouth Community Trust went into liquidation. Two nurseries in Stoft were also closed. Here's how our local representatives have reacted to the latest lockdown restrictions. Norfolk and Waveney have been warned not to be complacent in the fight against coronavirus as MPs praise the government's new restrictions as sensible and practical. The Prime Minister has unveiled a series of fresh restrictions across England but stopped short of plunging the country back into a second full lockdown. Norfolk's MPs have welcomed the clear and simple measures and urged everyone to play their part in continuing to keep the county's infection rates low. Brandon Lewis, Conservative MP for Great Yarmouth, said, The Prime Minister has laid out a number of clear and simple measures which, if followed, will help to combat COVID 19, and it is essential that we play our part. He added, Doing so will not only protect residents from the virus, but will help ensure our economy can continue to operate. We are lucky in Norfolk to have low rates, but we can't be complacent. Duncan Baker, MP for North Norfolk, said, Today is clearly a sensible incremental step rather than a significant national restriction which I was so keen to avoid. As I spoke about to the Health Secretary yesterday, in low infection areas we are capable of controlling the virus with local lockdown measures rather than generic national restrictions and I am keen to see that happening for the time being. George Freeman, MP for Mid-Norfolk said, With the virus resurgent again, the government must be right to act to avoid another 40,000 deaths from a second wave. The Conservative MP added, it must be right to prioritise work and education, but this is very tough on the hospitality, sport and some other sectors for which I think we will now need to reintroduce furloughing to avoid widespread bankruptcy and redundancy this winter. Broadland MP Jerome Mayhew said, the Prime Minister set out the long-term plan for how we need to deal with the virus in a way that people can understand and get behind. We all hope for a vaccine, but even if one is developed next year, we need to recognise that we will be dealing with COVID-19 for years. Conservative Mr Mayhew added, the aim of eliminating the virus entirely when it is pandemic is an unachievable objective. Instead, our objective should be to minimise human suffering, whether that is suffering because of exposure to the virus, or the suffering that is being caused by our response to it from changes to healthcare, interrupted schooling or the impact on the economy. Norwich North MP Chloe Smith also welcomed the measures. I think the approach is practical and balanced, she said. Everyone understands that we need to be able to stay safe while doing our utmost to protect jobs and the other things we value. Meanwhile, Waveney MP Peter Alders said, over the last six months the NHS locally and the councils have handled the impact very well. So I thought we could have done well with local arrangements. That's the point I made to the government. Mr Alders said he also understood the Prime Minister's position and said, to be fair on the Prime Minister, it is with a heavy heart that he came forward with these restrictions. This is not a full lockdown though. We are not going back to where we were in March. Clive Lewis, Labour MP for Norwich South said, the government are partly in the bind that they're in because they went into the first lockdown late and came out early against what I thought was the scientific advice at the time, which was that it should go on for longer. One of the reasons they're having the difficulties that they are now is that they've yo-yoed quite substantially. Mr Lewis warned that factors including seasonal flu and pressure on the health service could see measures tightened in the next few months. The government is walking a tightrope between getting the economy recovered and dealing with COVID-19, he said. There's clearly a fight going on between those who believe that the cure is worse than the cold. I do wonder whether they're talking about people's lives or profitability. Well, I'm sure we could fill an entire program with uh, discussing the rights and wrongs of that. But let's end this section with some uplifting news. Thousands of seals enjoying the sunshine have been caught on camera at a sandbank off the Yarmouth coast, though they weren't practising much social distancing. Scroby Sands the shoal running north to south from Caister towards Great Yarmouth provided refuge for thousands of grey seals as a low tide and high temperatures created the perfect opportunity for a casual mass gathering. The seal colony, <coughs> resting on the fringes of the bank, could be seen via aerial shots taken by Mike Page, a local photographer. Around a mile and a half out to sea, these shots once again confirm that the sandbank is blossoming into a real wildlife sanctuary. In the past the Scroby sandbank was responsible for many shipwrecks but now it attracts thousands of visitors each year who want to see firsthand the captivating marine mammals as they lounge by the shoreline and who can remember the boat trips out to Scroby Sands eh? a man has revealed his impressive lockdown transformation to his family and friends who had not seen a single snap of him during his weight loss journey Adrian Bussey decided to keep his new slim self under wraps during a six-month regime which saw him commit to the gym for a year and join Slimming World. The 48-year-old said friends had walked past him in the street and he barely recognised himself when he caught a glimpse of his new trim shape in a shop window. And this week on his final reveal trip to family and friends, he said his own dad didn't recognise him, thinking he was the man from the council to fix his thermostat when he turned up at a distance on the doorstep. Mr Bussey, who hails from Belton, said he'd been big all his life and imagined he would stay that way. But while others piled on the pounds during the pandemic, the enforced time at home away from restaurants, pubs and barbecue invites had helped him stick to his eating plan. And the prospect of his final reveal also kept him motivated, he said. After six months he had lost more than six stone, as now was down to the weight he was when he left Oriel High School in Galston at 16 years old. My confidence is amazing, he said. When you walk down the street, you think you are big and then you catch yourself in a reflection and it sinks in. I always have been big and I just found Slimming World four or five weeks before lockdown. Being inside and in control of what I was eating meant the weight just came off and I just thought, I'm not going to let anyone know. At his biggest, he was 25 stone, but he now weighs around 14 and a half stone and still has a way to go to get to his happy weight of about 13 and a half stone. And an added benefit is the weight loss has also seen him shed his type 2 diabetes. Before lockdown I lost about a stone and that was the incentive, he added. If I had joined three weeks later it wouldn't have worked and I would have said it wasn't the right time. Mr Bussey and his wife Sonia moved to the Stirling area of Scotland after enjoying happy holidays there ten years ago. He comes home around four times a year to see family and friends in Belton, Galston and Bradwell and this week surprised them with his impressive weight loss. Proud of his weight loss, he hoped his story would inspire others to turn themselves around. It was as if I went into hibernation and came out a newer, fitter man, he said. So lockdown does have some happy stories. Well done, that man. Well, that's it for me for another week. Thank you very much for listening to us here on Grapevine. And in this week, we, we've had our fair share of doom and gloom in the news. So I'd like to leave you with a story. This probably came originally from the late great Dave Allen, and I do hope that my grapevine colleague, the Reverend Martin, is listening to this one. A man was fed up with his life of drinking, gambling and womanising, so he joined a monastery, a very strict order, where the monks were only allowed to speak two words a year. After his first year, he was called to see the abbot who said, You've done well in your first year, brother, and you are now allowed two words. What do you wish to say? So the man replied, Bed's hard. The abbot promised he would look into it and the man went off for his next year. At the end of that year he'd become more involved in the work of the monastery and was doing well. The abbot congratulated him and then allowed him his two words. The man said, Food's bad. Again the abbot promised to look into it and soon another year had rolled round And he was called in to see the abbot again, who said, well done, brother, three dedicated years. And what are your two words this year? The man said, I'm off. The abbot said, thank goodness for that. You've done nothing but moan since you've been here. With that, it's goodbye, everyone. Stay safe, stay well, and keep listening to Grapevine.
0: all we have for you for this wet and windy edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, volume 40, number 39, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and Districts Talking Newspaper Association. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Margaret is next week's newsreader and we will also welcome back Dusty, Julie and the other Margaret. Please join us again for that. In the meantime, from Andrew, Andy and myself, it's bye for now. Have a great week and keep well and safe.